Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham, and I have the privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast. And I have a special conversation today, a unique conversation with someone who I know and love. And I have to say both of those things because this is my wife, Bethany Needham. Bethany, can you say hello to everyone? Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for jumping on today. And many of the listeners will have seen us at different events that we've had the privilege of serving at. We love hosting together. You're usually the uh, the humorous one, and I'm the the one who kind of keeps things. <laughs> Is that fair? <laughs> I don't know if I would call myself the humorous one, but I'm I'm the dramatic one. <laughs> yes, I one insight that I have to give you here, and I, I do hope to not start this uh, conversation today with a marital fight, but. Bethany, uh, you know, she works a full-time job and she has a lot of other things going on in her life. So it's a privilege when we get to do ministry together, but she always requires me to put out detailed, what we call host notes with every bullet point of everything that she will then ignore when we get into the moment. So is that fair? Um, I reference them sometimes, (laughs) so I don't completely ignore them. (laughs) Well, one of the things that shapes us the most in our faith are the things that we wouldn't ask for, the moments of surprise, and oftentimes the suffering. And we're going to share a little bit of our story today. We're going to do it with joy, but we're going to pull back the curtain on some things, some hard things that we have walked through, particularly around the area of mental health, when mental health hits home. And I do want to say just a word of caution. If you have little ears around you, we are going to get into some heavier topics today. But Bethany, before we do that, why don't you give a snapshot of what life looks like today the Needham home and with our our little world. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a moment recently where I recognized how much life has changed and sometimes I don't always keep up with it because I was filling out paperwork for a doctor's appointment and it just asked a simple question, how many people are in your household? And I immediately wanted to write my normal, you know, it's my husband, me, our two kids. And I had to stop and recognize, wow, we don't have two kids that live at home right now. So life right now is we live in New Hampshire, which I love. And our household actually consists of um, you and I, our daughter, Mercy, who is a senior Um, looking at schools. Actually, we've kind of finished looking at schools. Now where applications are in, we are waiting for responses. It's an exciting, nerve-wracking time. And your parents live with us in an in-law apartment. And my brother also lives with us in part of our home. So we have lots of friends often refer to us as compound living here. But I'll be honest, I love it. Would not want it any other way. Um, And then we can't forget my favorite family member, Fenway, our golden doodle. And life is full right now, for sure. You are working full-time with Converge. You're in seminary. So those things definitely um, keep you busy. I work full-time at an animal hospital, which has been an exciting adventure. And then we also have these opportunities throughout our weeks and months where we get to serve together through the work that you do with Converge. And that's always, I mean, a gift. Anytime we get to go someplace like last Sunday, leading worship together in kind of a a small country church and getting to meet believers all over the Northeast has been um, just a blessing of this season. So 
that's kind of, that's what life looks like. I'm sure there's other things splattered in between. Our son, he is actually in college in Florida right now and living out there. So we now have a Florida man as part of our family and he's loving that. And so, yeah, just a lot of incredible things in life right now. I remember, I think it was maybe six or uh, probably more than six months, maybe a year ago, we were sitting down with a young couple in ministry having dinner and they turned to us and they said to us, you know, with you guys being a little older in all of your years of wisdom. And it was sort of this, like, I mean, that is happening more and more now that we're, you know, two decades into ministry. I'll next year will be my 25th year of ministry. And uh, it is, it's kind of a fun, I feel like we have so much ahead of us and we still feel that. Um, but part of that is just, you know, this is a, is a really unique uh, transitional season for us, but to back up a little bit, I'll just share a little bit of our, our background uh, here too. And I mentioned two decades of ministry. We got married quite young. Bethany, how old were you when you got married? I was 18 years old, the age of our daughter. Let that sink in. (laughs) (laughs) We often uh, were asked that when we were in student ministry, how to kind of navigate that with other people's kids. And now we have to do it with our own, but we always tell them that our parents were very involved in our relationship. And I mean, it was hard. I mean, we, we, we had to grow up together in many ways. Um, You know, I realized a lot of things in my life that were unformed and uh, you had to walk alongside me and grace through those things. And God gave us kids right away. We found out not too long. I think it was six months into marriage that we found out that Josiah was was on his way. And so we were in full-time ministry, young, having kids, living in a more even more rural part of New Hampshire and kind of living without peers. Um, but there are so many people that helped us along that journey. And we're just so grateful for our mentors and pastors and counselors and learning what it looked like. Uh, and we can, we're just so grateful for the journey that God has brought us on through different chapters and different seasons of first season, you were working full-time at a church. I was traveling with a band. We've done a lot of different things. The through line, um, you know, God's, God's faithfulness in our marriage and our family, and then just a heartbeat for the Northeast. Those two things kind of run through, through our family. Is there anything you'd add to that, Bethany? No, I think that's, it's a good picture. It's wild to think about how many years it's been. And I, I remember that dinner so vividly with that young couple, because I think um, because we were so young when we started out, in some ways, in my mind, sometimes I'm stuck in that place of just always feeling like the young person. And that was this moment of, oh, wait, I'm not actually a young married person anymore. It's time to embrace middle age. Here we go. <laughs> That's right. Well, today we're going to uh, talk about how God has given us hope in the midst of some of our, our challenges and, and hard things that we've walked through. And we figured that in 30 minutes, we could basically summarize everything you would need to know about mental health. So no, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I just want to stress today as we come to this, that we come as travelers, as people on a journey with God, with other people, with our family not as experts. Um, There are great, we'll talk about this today, but there are great resources in the medical community, in professional counseling um, that really are essential to this. And so our perspective is more of a testimonial and we're gonna share some principles of things that we've learned that have been helpful to us, but everybody's journey, mental health is such a broad spectrum. It's a whole cloud of words and realities and everybody's journey in this space is going to be unique. And so we just want to acknowledge that and uh, hopefully give you some encouragement. I I have to say that in ministry in particular, uh, I think God is 
graciously bringing in a new chapter where these are open and okay conversations to have. And God's given us opportunity to talk to other other pastors, other people in ministry, and, and obviously those who are not, to be able to share our story and to be able to connect with them about the things that they're walking through. And so hopefully this is that kind of a gift uh, today. So Bethany, why don't you get us into that part of our story? Yeah. So I think um, I'm going to start with a personal side and sort of move forward from that. I kind of grew up with mental health being something that I became aware of from a very young age. My mom wrestled with mental health, um, I remember, from quite young. And so in a, a different way, at least I think it was different than it used to be back then, it actually was a commonplace conversation in my home. It wasn't something odd to me. Um, the depression, anxiety, these were terms that I was aware of pretty quickly. Um, but I also kind of came into my youth, my young adult years, a little bit afraid of them, a little bit um, scared of like, I didn't want that to be part of my story. And some of that was, you know, when my mom was walking through those things, it was a different time. And from how treatments were, medication, how the church responded to mental health, and I saw not all great things growing up. And so that was a real concern for me. So when I got into my young adult years and started, um, I guess, showing symptoms of what appeared to be depression, and I think it started with depression and then some issues with anxiety, I first, I think, kind of fought it and was like, it's just not, this is not going to be my story. And then it got to the point in my young adult years where for me, I needed to seek help. And that looked like counseling. Um, it looked like uh, actually a nutritionist, a doctor, all sorts of just um, different avenues to try and get some help for what was becoming a very difficult battle with some deep depression. And they were calling it at that time for me postpartum. Um, which was an education for me. I always assumed that was moms with newborns. And when I first heard those words, mercy was like a year and a half old. So it was just a whole, it was a battle. And, but I was grateful for like my mom coming alongside of me, you, your support and like, okay, let's figure out how to get you some help. And at that time, obviously having no idea what was ahead for us in our, our journey with mental health as parents and what our kids were going to face. But, um, I sort of walked through that. I, um, I guess to be candid, uh, medication was a huge help for me during that time. And then counseling was a huge help for me in that season. And I did kind of get to a place where I was able to walk with the help of others and work through some things. It wasn't a straight line. It wasn't a, everything, uh, what did they say, up and to the right? Like it was, it was a rocky road. And, and some of what was hard for me is if you know me personally, I don't necessarily check the box of when people think depression, they often think of sad, you know, I don't know. I just picture someone with like their head hanging in tears and a cloud raining on their head. And I actually am just kind of a typical like silver lining, happy, bubbly, like genuinely that's 
God has wired me and I do believe given me this gift of joy. And so that also made my journey a little difficult because trying to trying to wrestle with like depression and all these things, but also with people looking at me as someone like, you don't look like someone who's ever depressed. Um, but it was, it was part of what was going on for me. And then a big part of our story and honestly, probably the one part of mental health that has been harder for me than dealing with my own mental health was when we started to see symptoms in um, our son. And I would say as early, I believe he was four years old the first time I started seeing just things that I'm like, this seems a little off, like some signs of anxiety and um, behavioral things that just uh, were different. And from an early age, we were getting diagnoses of things that I also was like, I don't feel like that's what's going on, but I didn't really know. And so we walked and continue to walk, but in those early years, quite a road with our son, I learned things about mental health I had never heard of before. I learned what suicidal ideation, um, what that was. That was never something that I imagined walking through with my son who, you know, my memories of this chubby cheek little baby nursing him at night. It's not something you dream of as a new mom that, you know, someday maybe this is something we're going to have to walk through. Um, we walked through multiple hospitalizations. Um, we got to the place where we knew the police officers and the ambulance workers and people that, I mean, God love them. Obviously, I love all these people, but they're not people that you're like, gosh, I really hope I get to know those people really well and that they make regular visits to my home. Um, but this was kind of game it became part of our story and trying to navigate how to get our son the help that he needs um, in what is a really kind of messy space still. I think a lot of people, a lot more people are talking about it. I still think there's just so much that is not understood. And so when you're trying to navigate that journey with your child who you love so much and needing to make decisions for them when they're a kid that it's, it's a, it can be a really difficult thing. At the same time, you want to talk about something that's going to push you to God, like nothing else, because there is sort of this desperation. I make the joke, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie Underwood. <laughs> but in all seriousness, that was many, many a night of having to surrender the life of my son back to God, because I didn't know if he would be alive when we woke up in the morning. And um, that's, I don't know how I'm saying that without emotion right now, but don't take that to, th to think that it wasn't a hard thing. Um, in fact, I'm still myself working through that in counseling now, you know, years later. So yeah, and uh, while we want to be careful not to put a pretty bow on things for where we are now, we do feel um, incredible grace that God has given to our our family, to both our kids. So we're, I'm I'm super proud of both of our kids for the way that they've been pursuing uh, health in their own journeys and 
Josiah, you know, has just come so far. Um, we're so proud of, of his, and he's shared with other people very openly, even at our church testimonies about that. And God is, is definitely weaving redemption in, but like every, like most redemption stories, it's not, it's not just perfect. It's, it's a process. And one thing that I know for me in those years too, that's just so hard in adolescence, um, you know, especially speaking to parents of middle school and high school is, there's so much going, the world is just full of anxiety right now. I I'm so thankful that we don't grow up in the world. <laughs> like I I'm not, I'm not a teenager right now. Cause it's such a difficult space and it's hard as a parent. Like you, you'll never really know what is mental health, what is normal adolescence and what is that we're sinners. And you know, that there's, and these, it's like a soup of things. And um, you know, but we've, we've part of it was just being faithful and we're going to talk about some things that have really helped us. Um, but you know, draw near to God. I mean, he has been so faithful to us and we've drawn together and had to walk these things off sometimes even just whether it's taking out of a conflict or even care situations where we've had to figure out, you know, things that we didn't even know existed, um, yeah. that are now regular parts of our family vocabulary. So wraparound care and other, other types yeah. of things. So, um, Let's um let's kind of shift into some of the things that we have been learning uh, here, and just some we have four real simple principles um, that we'd love to just share with you. And some of this we've already started to touch on, uh, but why don't you start with this first one, Bethany? That we definitely be- believe in prayer. We believe in that we should pray to God for healing, um, and at the same time, we also realize that we need to pursue holistic health. So, what does that mean? Yeah, this is a big one for me. And I think some of it is I first learned this in my own journey with my mental health. I think one of the greatest gifts I've been given in working with doctors actually came from one of the first doctors I ever sat down with. And it wasn't even a psychiatrist. It was a primary care doctor. And that gift was when I went with the symptoms of what was pretty extreme postpartum depression that she didn't just give me pills. She didn't just suggest therapy. Those those things were part of it and she definitely encouraged it, but she sent me to a nutritionist and then she uh, pushed me, not rudely, but pushed me to join a gym and to get active. And those things alongside of the other help that I received have to this day been the most helpful for me in terms of understanding that God didn't, you know, when God created us as humans, he created us as whole beings, our, our mind, our bodies, our spirits. And I think I'm realizing even now we've talked about it recently that this is still something I'm learning. It's this idea of that we are not these disembodied (laughs) spirits and our, or these, these are not just these earth suits that are getting us through until we, you know, become spirits and float off into heaven, that God has designed this body that he's created me in his image. And that, um, that there is a part of my health that is caring for all of me, that all of it is connected. And so for me, sort of understanding that in a way that doesn't neglect any of it, I think is a has been a huge learning thing and trying to teach that I to be totally honest this is a lot easier this one in particular for me to apply to myself than to apply mm-hmm. to my kid cuz I myself can sort of have the discipline to say I need to you know for me moving my body every day how I eat the amount of sleep I get all these things 
um, it's proven a lot more challenging to have a, say, a uh, 18-year-old boy, we'll go back in time, an 18-year-old boy who wants to eat Doritos, stay up all night and do all of these things um, because that's how all of his friends live and trying to help cultivate that sort of holistic health um, for them is it's just more challenging. I don't know how else to say it. It's a hard thing. Yeah. And, and uh, you've already mentioned a few times that we are very much, you know, have no opposition to considering medication. But the other thing we've, you know, again, we're, we're very much appreciative of the professionals and the doctors, but there is a measure of discernment that has to come with that understanding one, that there is a lot of unknown here. There's a guessing game, even for the professionals about what's going to work and, giving those things, you know, learning, we've had so many journeys where it's like, are we giving it enough time? Is it the right thing? Like we've had to be very prayerful, be prayerful in that application of a provision. Um, you know, that's like one of the things that has been true. And, and even, you know, if you find that you're with a counselor or it's hard because there's such a shortage of some of these resources, but, um, you know, you, God has given you the Holy spirit to be able to have wisdom in engaging a holistic approach to health. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things that I do think we've really tried to press into both our kids is ask for help, advocate for yourself, um, in a, you know, in a, in a good way. So that's, that's great. And I appreciate wholeheartedly the mind, body, soul, uh, mentioned that you did. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say just like you mentioned where, how our redemption story, how it's, it's kind of, it can be a bumpy ride and that's been, in seeking health and healing, that that also is going to be some trial and error. And we've gone through all of that in my journey, especially with Josiah of, you know, there's been times we've tried medication and it's had the complete opposite effect than we wanted it to. We've been with doctors that we, that I believe God gave us discernment that this is not the right doctor and we've needed to make hard decisions. It, it feels like an uphill battle sometimes to mm. advocate for your kids to, you know, wrap around care, which a term you used, getting them the help that they need can be its own kind of a battle. And I think one of the, this next lesson that we learn kind of ties into that because there's sort of the medical aspect of community. But then also, I think one of the big lessons that we've learned and I'll let you speak to this is embracing community over isolation. Yeah. I mean, this ties right into one of the principles of the evergreen way of, of, we've talked a lot on this podcast about spiritual friendship, but the truth is that the enemy is ready and eager to use our suffering and wrap it with shame. Like that is one of his just like greatest hits, (laughs) Uh, a go-to move. And what shame when suffering is wrapped with shame and we do and we live there it's going to produce in us isolation and that is like the the result of living a life of shame versus living in the grace of jesus christ and in the community of his church and so that is one of those things that i think that uh i I will say especially as a dad as a as a husband as a man as someone who's in you know has sort of a public facing ministry that um you know, that's a difficult, difficult thing. And, and um, finding ways to embrace courageous vulnerability, uh, appropriate, you know, with each environment, but having spaces, uh, you know, one of the things that we have said so many, many times is that there have to be people in your life that know everything. 
not everybody needs to know everything. People can know something. Like it's it's very appropriate. I want to encourage you if you're a pastor or ministry leader, uh, we'll talk more about this too, but your suffering is is a pathway for people to experience the gospel. Um, but at the same time, you don't need to share everything. So just to say we're, you know, we're facing challenges, mental health is a part of our story. And even here on this podcast, we're not going to share every nitty gritty detail of the things that we have walked through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's appropriate. And then along with that is having those close, close friends and confidants the people that I can just text. And we've had people, you know, we've had moments where people have shown up at our front door in the middle of a crisis and helped out in a way, like whether it was with our daughter or other things that just that community of the church being the church. Um, we're just so grateful for those people that did that, but it takes the courage to be willing to invite people into like, I think sometimes uh, our human tendency, and I think being in New Englanders, it's even more so, but like, well, sometimes we'll wonder why people didn't show up for us, but we really have to have the courage to ask them to, and to invite them into our, mm. our suffering. Um, it's just a really important thing. And, mm. um, you know, this is living out Galatians 6, 2, which is to bear one another's burdens. Um, and that is really what it is. Um, so yeah, anything you want to add to that? I was just going to share um, a story that comes to mind that to me is like the clear picture of this is we had had a night um, where our Josiah had had an episode and it was pretty rough and it was emotional. And that night we had scheduled to have friends over for dinner and the temptation was to be like, we just, you almost, uh, I call it like the, the hangover after these things, like you're just after um, whatever happens, it's almost feels like the kid just goes off and they're fine. And you just are like, I, it's like the shock wave. And so we decided not to cancel the dinner. We decided to have, these were our people kind of people coming over for dinner. Like you said, these are people we've invited into our lives. And if ever there was an opportunity that we needed them as much as we wanted to just crawl into our beds, cover our heads and go to bed. And I remember them coming over and it wasn't long in a dinner before we had shared what was going on. And the dinner that was originally supposed to be this laughing, playing board games kind of thing ended up being um, our friends just praying over us at our kitchen table. And man, you want to talk about just a beautiful picture of Hmm. community. And there was no sense of judgment, no no advice. It wasn't a, well, what if you do this and this? It was like, you know what, let's just stop and let's pray. And um, that was one of those moments where if you could feel the chains, if you could hear them breaking the chains, the shame that the enemy would have loved to put in that moment, I feel like God just broke it free. And um, I'm just so grateful to have those kinds of friends in our lives. Hmm. Yeah. That's really well said. Absolutely. So um, just shifting gears a little, because this is something you've said a lot, and I think it's a powerful truth, but also something we've had to cling to, is this idea that suffering is part of my story, but it's not my identity. Um, tell me a little bit about or break that out for me. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a point of passion for me. Um, and I think that there is a beautiful and healthy generational shift. Um, I think for Gen Z, for millennials, which you and I just barely make the line for, but, uh, and Gen Alpha and younger. We're like ge- value, geriatric yeah, millennials. Yeah, the vintage millennials, as we like to say. 
But um, there's a huge value on vulnerability, authenticity, transparency. Um, and I think that that is a good thing. Like that is a gift. Uh, and we need to not fight against that at all. I mean, the fact that we're able to have this conversation and share it openly and that more and more people, and we're not the only ones that are having this conversation. So, so grateful for that. Um, And, you know, as a ministry leader, I've been able to have the resources of therapy and uh, counseling, and that has been such a thing. But I I think that there's a danger, and this is one of the things that we have really tried to speak uh, over and over, especially over our son, is that your mental health journey is a part of your story. It'll be a part of your story for the rest of your life. Like it's a journey. Um, like we said, it's not all up into the right. It's going to have bumps in the road. And that is, that's a, a story that God can redeem. But there's a danger in this, I think, at the same time that we sometimes can attach our identity to our story. And, you know, really our story is part of a bigger story. It's where as believers, we believe that our story is a part of God's story. And what we want to do when it's at its best our suffering is a frame for the gospel of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. to remind ourselves of our inadequacy before God and yet his relentless love for us in the midst of our sin and our suffering and our shame that God pursues, that he moves towards us. And it is an unbelievable thing to be able to see our story through that lens. <clears throat> but when I think where we get this backwards sometimes is we can fixate and it, it becomes almost like a... Um, I don't know how to say this the right way, but it makes it about us in some ways. If we overdo it, again, not to say share earnestly, be real, be vulnerable, but at the end of the day, we need to allow those things to point to the relentless love of Jesus and the way that he has brought redemption into our story. And so I, I really spoke that, I speak that over my kids all the time, you know, and for every struggle that they have, whether they fail a test, uh, whether they, you know, failure is a part of your story, but it's not the whole story. Uh, and that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I think often that one of the things the enemy loves to do is to try and replace our identity in Christ with anything except for Christ. And so whether that be a diagnosis, I know in the mental health world, um, there's a lot of debate around, you know, labeling kids with these diagnoses because of that tendency there is to take that on as an identity. And um, it just, to me, it sniffs of the enemy. Like it just smells of Satan. Yeah, he absolutely would love for that to happen. He would love to take this this suffering that you're going through and put it on a name tag and cover up this incredible person that God has created Mm -hmm. and designed. And um anything really to draw us away from the one who's created us and who, who knows the depths of our heart. I think that often for Josiah, when I'm praying for him and for mercy is that God is the only one that can actually get to the part of them that's hurting the most in the deepest. Yes. Yes. And so praying that God would press through those things, through the diagnosis, through all, you know, through all of it, Yes, give us discernment in knowing the right treatments and help and everything else, but that God would get to that place inside of them and meet them in that in that space. So, yeah, another reason why I think this is so important, and and everybody, I have friends who have had to walk even harder roads than we have in this, but 
it also is important as a parent because um, you have responsibilities that, you know, when you have a, a child in crisis, um, everything, all of your energy and all your resources and, and sometimes even all of your love are directed in that way. And, and there are moments where like it is absolute triage mode and it is on fire and you need to, to do that. But there's also a danger. I mean, again, we can do this with our kids over their um, pursuit of academics and athletics, and we can also do it with their challenges where we actually center our family around our children in a way that's unhealthy and in idolatry. And that's a cultural phenomenon right now. I think that a lot of families face and, and we have struggled with this. This is not like a perfect thing. Like how do we love our kids? Well, give them a better, you know, foot forward from what we grew up with. How do we walk them through their challenges? And at the same time, like with, you know, there've been moments where we've had to remember like, well, there's not just one kid in this house, there's more than one. And we have to think about the emotional and physical safety of everybody here. Um, that's language that we've used a lot is that we do care about the safety, emotional, spiritual, physical safety of everyone in our home. Um, and there have been moments where we've had to make difficult decisions based on on that. And um, and then the other part, um, we're now at a season where Josiah is living on his own in Florida. We still have a relationship with him. We've walked through a lot of hard things and he's still 20 years old and, you know, figuring out life and making, you know, a lot of good decisions. And then sometimes there were ones that were like, well, we'll see how that works out. Um, but, Aren't we you know, all? That's just, Aren't we yeah. all? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. And that, that's, that's no judgment on him in particular. That's just the reality of parenting. But we've had you know, one of the pieces of language that we use with our son. Uh, we talked about this this last summer is that even with him living afar, we're like, look, we will always help you in an emergency. We will always help you in an emergency. But part of this season of life is that we have to have the permission to determine what is help and what is an emergency. And like that is actually our imperative as parents before God to even parents of a young adult. And, and I know that I know I have friends, good friends who have had to make even harder decisions of even breaking contact or, or different things like that for seasons because of that need to guard their marriage or guard their family. And, and I, I empathize with that greatly, but this is one of the things that, um, you know, it's partially why we have to realize that, um, you know, it's God's story, not our story. And we can't be trying to control every single piece of that. So, yeah. Well, and that our roles, especially as parents, is that God has given us our kids to steward, but that he were not their saviors. And, nope. you know, ultimately, I don't want Josiah or Mercy <laughs> to look at us as their sufficiency or the answers to all of their problems or the provision for, you know, there are going to be times that God uses us in that in their lives. But you know, in the end, I want them to look to God for those things because there will be a day when you and I are not here anymore. Mm. And I mean, I hope that's years and years and years away, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know how God's going to write that story. And, um, I think that's one of the gifts that has come of this journey is when you have a kid in crisis and this could be mental illness, this could be a physical illness, this could yeah. be rebellion, this could be a lot of things. Um, that place you get to, and I, I would almost venture to say any parent with, by the time your kid gets to young adult, you've reached this place where you actually come to terms with the fact that you're not in control and that that's a good thing. <laughs> and that again, that it's God, 
God is not only in control, but that what is your role in this and how do you submit to that in a way that isn't just always coming to the rescue or, you know, trying to step in and be God in your kid's life, but let God be God and let God give you the discernment to, okay, what does parenting in this moment with a 20 year old, a 19 year old, whatever, God, what does that look like? And help me not to overstep into this savior role that you've never called me to be. Um, I think that that actually is a great point to pivot to our last kind of big idea. And I just want to say on this last one, this is one that Josiah has actually lived out in his life and uh, God has used him in really powerful ways in other people's lives who have been walking through similar challenges and struggles with him. But it's sort of, as you have said before, the ministry that we would never choose, (laughs) Um, which is the idea of this. And this is the last thing I'd love for you to speak to, which is suffering can be a surprising path to serve. Mm. Yeah, this is a beautiful one and also can be a really difficult one. I am a firm believer that God does not waste. And I also am growing in my understanding of the importance of us, that it's okay for us to walk through suffering and not feel like we got to flip it Mm -hmm. in our own power, that when I say God does not waste, it doesn't mean, you know, find your silver lining and roll with it, sister friend. Like this is allowing God to, um, to take all these parts of our suffering and do what he would through it. And so what that has looked like in our lives personally is, you know, you mentioned Josiah, it's been very cool to see the different spaces where he's had opportunity to have conversations with kids who are walking through things that he walked through and to have an understanding that I wouldn't even know. I don't know what it was like being his age during a pandemic with all these things and for him to be able to empathize and care for someone. Um, I think of our daughter who, Mm -hmm. how God has used it in her life when I see the way that she is compassionate and empathetic and understanding to people um, because she has also walked a road And I would say, you know, you have two kids and they're very different. She is definitely more of our private kid. And so we don't tend to talk as much. Um, And that I think honestly is intentional. That's her story. Um, Josiah's, he's a lot more like his mom. (laughs) He's a lot more open and has been, so we feel sort of a lot more freedom to be open with his. But even as a mom, the conversations that God has allowed me to have that I can have from a different space because of what I've walked through. And it's something that, again, you said it, I, I can't say that I would have chosen it. (laughs) Like I am doing the best I can to surrender it to God, to what, like, God, this is the story that you're writing and I don't, I don't want to waste it. And so if there's opportunity, give me the courage to speak into those. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you at this point, the amount of times I've had the chance to share the gospel, to share my mm. faith, um, to share just with other believers who felt like a shame about them being a Christian and walking through this and for them to meet someone else who not only is also a Christian, but who they would see as somebody who, wait, you like lead ministries and this is part of your story. And so, yeah, allowing God 
to use that. But again, I just, I've, I don't know, maybe it's for someone that's listening. I also just want to say, don't take that as, um, just turn your frown upside down. Or we like to joke all the time because of whatever that silly video that we watch about, you know, the right response to someone saying that I'm depressed or I'm anxious is, well, just stop it. Like, stop feeling that way. Like, that is not the message here. But I will say when you take these things and you you allow God, the things that right now may feel like there is absolutely no redeeming quality in the hands of the creator, I promise you, mm-hmm. um, he is a God of redemption in ways that are beyond our understanding. And I think that that is so important because I think we want to believe in a false gospel that says that redemption means everything is positive. And I think that God's way is that his suffering at its best, the sweetness of it is the presence of Jesus in the midst of suffering, Mm -hmm. in the midst of suffering. And then to be able to meet somebody else in our suffering through our suffering and that to be a a conduit for the, the presence of God, Um, you know, again, it's not, it's the furnace that we wouldn't choose, but we find ourselves in the furnace with other people and Jesus is there with us. And that is really the beautiful, beautiful thing that, that God has shown us and revealed to us. And uh, I'm just so grateful. I'm so thankful to be able to walk this road uh, with you. I want to, I want to close with a scripture that has meant a lot to us that kind of, you know, Paul speaks to this when he speaks to the church in Corinth, and this is from second Corinthians one. And the beautiful thing about this is that our suffering all looks different. Your suffering with mental health may look very different from us. Your suffering may be completely different than what Bethany and I have walked through. But there is no one gets out without suffering in this life. Um, and the question is, how are we going to see God in the midst of that suffering? How are we going to experience God in that? Um, and it's it's always a story that will be continue to be written until we reach eternity, until the new heaven and new earth, uh, which I look forward to uh, greatly. But this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to pick up in verse 3. This is what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, sufferings of Christ, So also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. We are comforted. It is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering with you. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And that is the picture of hope that we get to share in. And I hope that that is hopeful. Bethany, any last words before we wrap up our time together today? No, I I mean, my prayer is that anyone listening to this, that this is something that encourages them that they're not alone um, if they've felt isolated and also to encourage them to, to not be afraid to seek help and find their people. Um, God... God is incredible. He's all sufficient. He's everything we need. And he's called us to community. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. find your people and invite them over for dinner. (laughs) 
That's right. I would say that's very true. And again, we come to this as pilgrims on a journey, uh, encountering Christ daily through these realities. And um, I'd be happy to connect with any of you uh, who are listening and maybe to be able to point you in a direction or share resources has been helpful to us as well. So Bethany, thanks so much for, for your time and for sharing uh, this part of our story. And I hope and pray that it's a blessing to others. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you to be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and feel free to send us a message. It's an easy way to connect. You can also send me an email directly at andy at convergenortheast.org. That's andy at convergenortheast.org. Let us know what resonates with you, as well as any ideas or suggestions for topics or interviews for future episodes. We appreciate it when you follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and know that a positive review is a simple way that you can help more people discover the evergreen way. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.